Wagovi's so-called long-term study. This is the Weight and Healthcare newsletter. If you like what you're reading, please consider subscribing and or sharing at weightandhealthcare.com. To begin with, I want to thank Deb Regard for her help with this piece. She is quoted below and was kind enough to review and give feedback on the piece, and I am incredibly grateful. Let's get to it. The study is Two-Year Effects of Semaglutide in Adults with Overweight or Quote Obesity, the Step 5 Trial by Garvey et al. It claims to have, quote, assessed the efficacy and safety of once-weekly subcutaneous semaglutide 2.4 milligrams versus placebo, both plus behavioral intervention, for long-term treatment of adults with, quote, obesity or, quote, overweight with at least one weight-related comorbidity without diabetes, end quote. Before we even get into the results, let's unpack this statement. First, semaglutide is sold for weight loss by Novo Nordisk under the brand name Wagovi. By long-term, they actually mean just 104 weeks, aka two years. This is an example of long-term meaning whatever the study authors decide it means. Also note that, as is often the case, risk is predicated on size, putting those of higher weights at greater risk. If someone is, quote, overweight, then they have to have a, quote, weight-related comorbidity, which is simply a health issue that people of all size get that gets called weight-related when fat people have it, in order to qualify for the drug. But if you were in the, quote, obese category, you qualify for this drug and its many risks without any health conditions, simply because you happen to be higher weight. In addition to the study being funded by Novo Nordisk, the author conflict of interest statement is literally longer than the study abstract. I'm going to read it here in its entirety because I think it's worth knowing who is behind this work. WTG reports a grant from Novo Nordisk, serving as site principal investigator for the current clinical trial, which was sponsored by his university during the conduct of the study, and receiving grants to serve as site principal investigator for other university-sponsored clinical trials funded by Eli Lilly and Company, Lexicon, Epitome, and Pfizer outside the submitted work. He also served as a compensated consultant on advisory committees for Alnalem, Amgen, Boehringer Ingelheim, Fractal, and Novo Nordisk, and a volunteer uncompensated consultant on advisory committees for Boehringer Ingelheim, Jazz Pharmaceuticals, Novo Nordisk, and Pfizer. RLB reports research grant support on behalf of their institution from Novo Nordisk and advisory consultancy fees from Boehringer Ingelheim, Eli Lilly and Company, Gila Therapeutics, GLB01, International Medical Press, Novo Nordisk, Pfizer, and Viv. MB is an employee of Novo Nordisk AS. SB served as site principal investigator for the clinical trial. He received no financial compensation, nor was there a financial relationship, and reports advisory consulting fees and or other support from Boehringer Ingelheim, Eli Lilly and Company, Giudotti Laboratories, Menorini Diagnostics, Novo Nordisk, and TheraScience Lingaform. LNC is an employee of Novo Nordisk AS. JPF reports research support grants from Acaro, AstraZeneca, Boehringer Lingelheim, BMS, 89Bio, Eli Lilly and Company, Intercept, Ionis, Janssen, Madrigal, Metacrine, Merck, North Sea Therapeutics, Novartis, Novo Nordisk, Oramed, Pfizer, Poxel, and Sanofi, and advisory consultancy fees from Akiro, Alta Immune, Axella Health, Becton Dickerson, Boehringer Lingelheim, Carmont Therapeutics, Ecosense, 89Bio, Eli Lilly and Company, Gilead, Intercept, Metacrine, Merck, Novo Nordisk, Pfizer, and Sanofi. EJ reports grants from Amgen, AstraZeneca, Boehringer Ingelheim, FAES, Janssen, Eli Lilly and Company, MSD, Novo Nordisk, Pfizer, Sanofi, Shire, and UCB. 
personal fees from Amgen, AstraZeneca, FAES, Helios Fresnius, Atel Pharmaco, Eli Lilly and Company, MSD, Munda Pharma, Novo Nordisk, UCB, and Biatris. KK is an employee of Novo Nordisk AS. GR reports personal advisory consulting and lecture fees and non-financial support from Inova Pharmaceuticals, Nethly Health Sciences, and Novo Nordisk. Personal lecture fees from Johnson & Johnson, Medtronic, formerly Covidian, Merck, Sharp & Dome, Reshape Life Sciences, formerly Apollo Endosurgery in Allergan, Australia, and WL Gore Device Technologies. GR reports personal, advisory, consultancy, and lecture fees and non-financial support from Inova Pharmaceuticals, Nethly Health Sciences, and Novo Nordisk. Personal lecture fees from Johnson & Johnson, Medtronic, formerly Covidian, Merck, Sharp & Dome, Reshape Life Sciences, formerly Apollo Endosurgery in Allergan, Australia, and WL Gore Device Technologies. TAW serves on advisory boards for Novo Nordisk and WW, formerly Weight Watchers, and has received grant support on behalf of the University of Pennsylvania from Novo Nordisk and from Epitome Medical Limited, the latter outside of the submitted work. SW reports research funding, advisory consultancy fees, and or other support from AstraZeneca, Bosch Health, Boeingel Ingelheim, CIHR, Janssen, Eli Lilly, and company, and Novo Nordisk. Woo! All right, let's dig into what they found. The short answer is found in the graph that exists on their study. And this is a graph of percentage body weight change over the 104 weeks. You can see the graph um, on my piece at weightandhealthcare.com or in the study itself. I would characterize these results as weight cycling began in week 68 and weight was trending up at week 104. You may not be surprised to learn that the study authors, all of whom remember take money from Novo Nordisk, characterized it differently. They claim, quote, semaglutide treatment led to substantial sustained weight loss over 104 weeks versus placebo, end quote. All right, let's talk about the study population. They were predominantly cis female with no trans or non-binary representation and overwhelmingly white at 92.8%. The trial started with 152 people taking 2.4 milligrams of semaglutide. 20 discontinued the treatment but remained, quote, in the trial, 10 for adverse effects, 2 for lack of efficacy, one was eliminated by the investigators for, quote, safety concerns, three were lost to follow-up, three for other reasons, and one became pregnant, which is a larger issue since the ways that Wagovi may impact pregnancy are not known, which becomes an issue for a drug that is meant to be taken during the duration of a person's life. Four actually withdrew from the trial, three were lost to follow-up, and one died. At the end of the trial, 132 of the original 152 completed treatment, but five of those had dropped down to a dose of 1.7 to less than 2.4 milligrams, and seven had dropped down to less than the 1.7 milligram dose. 148 were considered to have, quote, completed the trial, defined as attending the end of trial visit. In terms of adverse events, 146 subjects, 96.1%, experienced an adverse event. There were a total of 1,606 adverse events over the two years. 12 participants, 7.9%, experienced a total of 18 serious adverse events. And remember, this is just in two years. People are supposed to stay on this drug for their entire lives. Nine subjects, 5.9%, experienced a total of 12 adverse events that led to discontinuing the product. Six subjects, 3.9%, experienced, quote, gastrointestinal disorders. Interestingly, they break this up into events per 100 patient years. 
In terms of total adverse events, the total is 532.3 per 100 patient years. For serious adverse events, it's 6 per 100 patient years. For adverse events that lead to discontinuation, it's 4 per 100 years. This may not seem like a lot until you think about the fact that people are meant to take these drugs again for the rest of their lives. And if they stop, Novo Nordisk's own study shows rapid weight regain and loss of cardiometabolic benefit. The average age of semaglutide group in this trial was 47.3. But remember that the disastrous American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines suggest starting children on these drugs as young as 12. If we assume a life expectancy of just 70 years, someone who starts the drug at 47.3 could have 22.7 patient years, which averages out to about 121 adverse events, 1.32 serious events, and 0.9 events that could lead to product discontinuation. A child who starts the drug at 12 could individually have 58 patient years, with an average of 308 total adverse events, 3.48 serious adverse events, and 2.32 events that lead to product discontinuation. This is extra concerning to me given the number of people I'm hearing and seeing in interviews, many of whom are on Novo Nordisk's payroll, extolling the safety of these drugs. There's also some smoke and mirrors in the discussion section for us to take a look at. They say, weight loss of greater than or equal to 5%, a threshold widely used to indicate a clinically meaningful response to therapy. End quote. The idea that 5 to 10% weight loss is clinically meaningful does not come from clinical trials, but from attrition and weight loss industry fantasy land. I wrote about it in depth on weight and healthcare. Also, as Deb points out, quote, people know they're going to be weighed. So even when they have regained weight when they went off the drug, they can restrict again before the weigh-in. If the standard is 5% weight loss, that is 12 pounds for a 240-pound person. But it doesn't mean the results are because of the drug. Paul Ernsberger wrote about this issue, that when the standard is so low, you are basically measuring weight cycling because people know their weigh-in date and restrict in advance of it. End quote. When it comes to those who are going on the drug in an attempt to make weight because a BMI-based procedure denial is holding their healthcare hostage for a weight loss ransom, Deb breaks down the numbers to see what the outcomes are for the higher weight people in the sample. Quote, in order to make these numbers more meaningful, I, meaning Deb, took the participant average weight of 231 pounds and the average BMI of 38.6, and then calculated 5%, 11.5 pounds, 10%, 23 pounds, and what appears to be the amount of loss at two years, about 16% or 37 pounds for 50% of the sample. Imagine this average participant whose BMI started at 38.6, whose resulting BMI is now 32.3. If they are being denied surgery due to, quote, obesity, this amount of weight loss would not even remove them from the, quote, obese BMI category, which starts at 30. If this data were being used for informed consent, one might say, It is 50-50 that staying on the drug for two years will produce a weight loss of 16%. Half the people will have less loss than that or will even gain weight. For the average person in this study, a 16% loss was not enough to move them out of the discriminated against group or make them eligible for the denied surgery. Because half the sample is higher weight than the average person discussed here, those people will also continue to be in the quote obese category after having a 50-50 chance of losing as much as 16%. For example, a 300-pound person would still have a resulting BMI of 41.9%. The claims that 70% lost 5% or more, 11.5 pounds for the average person, or 61% lost 10% or more, 
23 pounds for the average person, are not particularly useful for higher weight people in the abstract. These outcomes need to be assessed for whether they actually reduce harms from stigma and discrimination, especially against the backdrop of the harms of the drug itself, its financial expense, and the weight cycling it causes. End quote. Speaking of weight cycling, they also claim, quote, obesity is a chronic relapsing disease that requires continuous effort to control, end quote. I would say that this is nonsense, but it's actually worse than nonsense because, quote, relapsing obesity actually means failed weight loss interventions. This verbiage is an attempt by people who sell failing weight loss interventions to rebrand that failure as, quote, relapsing obesity rather than its true name, which is weight cycling. This also allows them to escape criticism for the serious harm that weight cycling can do. Their citations for this are another one of the Novo Nordisk-funded Wagovi trials and a statement from the World, quote, Obesity Federation, which is an astroturf organization, an organization that claims to be an advocacy group for higher weight people, but is, in fact, funded by the weight loss industry. The WOF takes millions of dollars from Novo Nordisk and other weight loss companies for whom this definition of, quote, relapsing obesity is a priority because they want to sell weight loss products that don't work to people for their entire lives. This brings me to another question. One of the mechanisms by which this drug works is simply shutting down hunger signals, with some people on the drug reporting that they just don't want to eat or forget to eat. Is anyone tracking nutritional and micronutrient deficiencies in those who are on the drugs? Or do they not care if people are nourished as long as they're a few pounds thinner and Novo Nordisk is billions of dollars richer? They also claim, quote, When interpreted together with the findings of the Step 4 withdrawal trial and Step 1 off-treatment extension study, which both showed weight regain after semaglutide discontinuation. After 20 weeks treatment in step four and 68 weeks treatment in step one, these results support the benefit of continued semaglutide treatment for sustained weight loss, end quote. This is subtly setting up a false dichotomy, as if the only two options are to take the med, lose weight short term, then go off the medication and gain it back, or take the med forever, Ignoring that weight loss had, by their own admission, largely plateaued at week 60 while people were still on the drug, and that weight was being regained at two years when people were still on the drug when they stopped tracking. Regardless of whether or not they are calling it, quote, long term, the follow-up period in this trial is not nearly long enough to make a recommendation to take this drug for life. Moreover, it should be noted that there is a third option. Understanding, as always, that health is not an obligation, barometer of worthiness, or entirely within our control, there is always the option not to start the medication in the first place and to move to a weight-neutral paradigm with greater health benefits and less risk, but no profit to Novo Nordisk. Did you find this helpful? You can subscribe for free to get future posts delivered direct to your inbox or choose a paid subscription to support the newsletter and the work that goes into it and get special benefits. Go to weightandhealthcare.com and click subscribe.